You're listening to Beyond Infinity, your weekly dose of science and technology, presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Piers Cunningham talking with uh, Mr. Jeff Wells, honorary consultant at Box Hill Hospital in Melbourne, Victoria. Great to speak to you, Jeff. Thanks for your time today. Pleasure, Piers. So, Jeff, you were one of the people who've got their name on an open letter which was sent to the Premier of Victoria, Daniel Andrews. This is essentially a letter which is critical of the government's hard lockdown measures. I'd like to go through some of the points that you've made in that letter because I think there's a lot of people in the community who are quite frustrated about lack of information. They perhaps feel that they're being treated as fools uh, and not trusted with information that the government is sitting on. These are some of the themes that come out in your letter, but I thought we'd just go through it point by point. There's a lot in it, which I think a lot of people are really interested to hear from you as one of the people involved, as one of the signatories, to thrash this out a little bit, because... People have been arrested in recent times for comments they've made on Facebook. The government has just managed to get through just with a, with a very slim majority, increased state of emergency measures through Parliament in Victoria. That's giving them another six months of state emergency powers, which are very far-reaching powers. They absolutely. And Victoria now is actually in a lockdown which is almost unprecedented anywhere else in the world. Uh, that's another thing which um, which people need to keep in mind. So, Jeff, please explain to listeners what motivated you and the other signatories, the other doctors and medical specialists who, who've signed this open letter to Daniel Andrews. Give me an idea of your motivation. You obviously felt fairly desperate. You felt you needed to do something. Absolutely, Pierce. I mean, talking to patients, we saw significant side effects from the result of the lockdown. And then talking amongst colleagues, we decided, four or five of us collectively, that the effects of the lockdown were probably worse than the COVID crisis itself. And we thought, we we really believe that uh, in fighting COVID, we've created another public health crisis issue. Mm. And there does appear to be significant morbidity from the harm effect of the lockdown, and this morbidity could be worse than COVID itself. Now, there is some early literature to say that um, patients aren't presenting to their general practitioners as uh, nearly frequently as they have in the past. But we know for a fact, certainly, that referrals from general practitioners to specialists has diminished by between 60 and 70%. Right. So what's happening here, Pierce, is that people are obviously then presenting to the specialists at a much later date, and in some circumstances, if they have a cancer or a malignancy, it can have progressed in this period of time. So there are figures coming out from London, or from actually from the UK, and this is they've been published in the Lancet which show that uh, there could be an expected increased death rate from late presentation to specialists of in the vicinity of 4,000 patients. Now, if the UK's got uh, 65 million people in their population and Victoria has 6.5 million, if you divide it by 10, that's about uh, 400 increased deaths that could be possible as a result of the lockdown. Mm. And then we also have the fairly significant 
social, psychiatric and economic effects of the lockdown as well. So we sent this letter to Daniel Andrews and we sent it to all the members in the Legislative Council. Yep. We've sent it to other people in the community and we've subsequently set up a website which is called coviddoctorsnetwork.com We've received an enormous amount of positive information via emails, phone calls, and basically what it's told us, uh, Pierce, and what we knew previously to this, which is why we've written this letter, that there's been a, an enormous amount of hurt and concern in the community as a result of the lockdown measure. Yeah. You know, this is a fairly, fairly severe lockdown, as we know. There's a curfew, people are only allowed to exercise for an hour a day. Exercise is very important in, in lifestyle. Um, people aren't able to go to the gym, they can't go out and surf, they can't play tennis, they can't play golf, and all this is affecting the psyche of Victorian life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from a school point of view, it's been quite difficult for people in, in education. I have a general practitioner friend of mine who's got two grandchildren. One is a boy in Melbourne, one is a girl in Sydney, and these uh, students are both in their final year at school, both in year 12. Mm. The girl in Sydney has had a wonderful year compared mm. with the boy in Melbourne who's had a terrible year. He's becoming depressed, missing his friends. He's going to underperform or his parents are concerned that he's going to underperform mm. in his final year exams. Mm. And uh, this is a very, very common situation and it's very worrying for the community in general. Yeah. It's coming back to this idea that at what cost, you know, you, you do these measures and there may be some benefits that flow from them, but you, you've got to have a world that's worth making these sacrifices for when you finally do attempt a recovery and if you've done so much damage and and the, the consequences are going to be so dire and long term then you've really got to question the measures in the first place and we're going to come to this the points you've made about the numbers of deaths relative to the number of influenza cases we had a year ago um, yes, i know you've yes. got some points to make there we could just give some general statistics hmm. about the disease. Please. One thing is certain: we don't want to underestimate this disease. Mm. It's been it's it's occurring worldwide, and it can have some significant side effects. On the other hand, if you're under seventy years of age, then the chance of dying from the COVID uh, from COVID is in the vicinity of about one in one hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. So it's incredibly low. That is if you're a fit person under 70 years of age. Now, contrast this with an elderly patient over 85 who has significant comorbidities. By that, I mean they may have had a stroke in the past, they may have cardiac disease, they may have respiratory disease. Then these people are certainly at much greater risk, especially if they're residing in a nursing home. Yep. Now, the figures that have recently come out from Europe and Spain show that if you're over 75 and, and you acquire the disease, you've got about a 10% chance of dying. If you're in a nursing home, well, we know this from Melbourne, mm. the risk of dying can be up to 20 to 25%. So we don't want to trivialise this COVID disease by any stretch, but we have to realise that 
we have to concentrate all our, the, the majority of our management on the elderly and patients in nursing homes. Now, we have to make sure that these patients are treated with care, compassion, dignity, that we have excellent nursing care looking after these patients and that the nursing staff is not underemployed. We must make sure that the nurses there are staying in one area and they're not crisscrossing across the community where it's possible that the virus could be spread. Mm. We must make sure that these patients are well nourished. Mm. And this is a different issue, however, from the vast majority of the population who are under 70 years of age. So, in fact, looking at the majority of under 70 years of age, in a funny sort of way, they're almost being penalised. There's two groups of patients. So the younger patients, the general communities, the children at school, the people in their 20s who are going to university, the people in their 30s and 40s who are starting a family, those that are 50 and 60 that are near retirement, these people are in a way being penalised by the harsh restrictions of the lockdown. As you say, uh, it takes significant consequences. Mm. So what we are trying to do, Pierce, is to open the door for some political dialogue. Mm. Now, the people have signed this letter, and there's, I might add, there are 400 doctors that have signed this letter now, and these doctors are very experienced. Most of them have been in practice for 30 or 40 years. As a doctor, you have to know how to converse and have a good dialogue, and that's what being a doctor is all about. If you want to get a sensible opinion from someone, as one of my colleagues said, ask a general practitioner who's been in practice for 30 years. Mm. And we feel as though now that our um, voice hasn't been heard and we're making a large effort to get some attention from the government, we are a little disappointed that we haven't had a reply from Daniel Andrews. Mm. We so might have expected one. No response from anyone there? Oh, look, we, we've, had, we, we've had responses from people in the Legislative Council just right. to say thank you very much for your letter. Okay. The reason we did this was, obviously, we sent them to all members of the Legislative Council to try and influence the vote, mm. to try and stop what I think has been initially an ambit claim from Daniel Andrews. He, he initially asked for a year. He got six months. Mm. Uh, we mm. tried to send it to members of the Legislative Council, but it, as obviously, as you've said initially, it hasn't been effective. Mm. So we're really, Peter, just trying to open the door to get some dialogue yep. and to get some common sense. And it's amazing in the emails that we've got back, the emails generally start off with thank you, thank you, thank you, mm. and then they end by saying it's great to have a voice of reason in some common sense because we feel as though common sense has been pushed out the window to some degree well to quite a significant degree and i want to come to that jeff because i think that there's a there's a real disquiet about the limited information that's been released either there's some strategic reason for that at the very least it's treating people like fools and and this is a situation where people deserve to have access you could have it the government could easily set up a website where they dropped all of their scientific information, all of the, the, the material that makes up their daily briefings, their modelling, all that material could be there and then people could make of it what they will. But why not share it? I agree. We don't really know who's in control of this management. Daniel Andrews is obviously at the end point, mm. but there 
four or five people in the DHS and S who are probably uh, influencing him. Mm. We're not really sure uh, how much influence different people have. Mm. What we would like is to have a basically a panel of non-politically aligned medical people and health-related people to get involved in the decision-making. Whereas at the present time, Piers, we've got the Premier who's standing up every day giving us figures mm. of the number of cases and of the number of deaths. Now, we know that it's very difficult to accurately diagnose the cause of, the cause of death and it could well be the case that a significant number of these patients who have been stated to have died from COVID have actually died with it rather than from it. Now, I think people need to understand this. It's very difficult to get an accurate figure on this because we don't do post-mortems on patients to any great degree anymore and signing the death certificate is fairly unscientific. But so when you say with it rather than from it, can you explain what that difference is and why that's important? Yes, yes. If you're dying with the disease, then there are other cofactors causing it. So you may have a malignancy, you may have a respiratory disease, you may just have dementia, and that can be the primary cause of death, but the patient could be COVID positive. Mm. But the COVID disease has not caused the cause of death. That's dying with the disease rather than dying from the disease as if this is the major illness factor. Right. And that's caused the, that, that has been the ultimate cause of death. And that is not something that's being distinguished from people who are recorded as a death from COVID. Well, there are figures in the, in the United States. And as we know, listening to statistics can be somewhat confusing. But some people in the United States are saying that they've overstated it. And of the deaths that have been reported, only 6% have died from COVID and the remainder have died with COVID. Now, this seems a bit of an exaggeration, but it does give you something to think about. Mm. So I think the deaths could well be, we're not saying we haven't got total scientific evidence of this, but we're saying that a lot of the deaths could be overstated and the patients are dying with the disease compared with from the disease. Yep, yep. I'm speaking with Mr. Jeff Wells. He's a consultant urologist at Box Hill Hospital, and he's a signatory of an open letter that's been written to Daniel Andrews about COVID and about the stage four lockdown and the importance of coming out of lockdown as scheduled uh, in mid-September and not extending that. There is a website you might want to have a look at if for listeners, coviddoctorsnetwork.com. As Jeff said earlier, there are 430 doctor's signatures on that and counting. So quite a strong response. Out of, just out of interest, those doctors who've got their signatures on your website, are they mainly in Victoria or are they all around the world? Yes. No, mainly in Victoria, Pierce. Yep, yep. But if I could just give you a fairly simplistic view from, from the business point of view, mm. one of the reasons why this letter came into fruition was some of my friends in the business world were saying, it's all one way. We haven't got any way that we can speak to the government. It was as if debate had just been totally silenced. Right. Now, I think it's fair to say if you stifle political debate or any debate, the consequences can be quite disastrous. Yep. So I got calls from people saying, Jeffrey, we want you, if you can, to 
absolutely puts an input in that the business community is hurting very badly. Now, we know, interestingly, Piers, that the most information we're getting from the side effects economically are from the federal government and not from the state government. So when we hear Mr Morrison come up and speak, he speaks about the disease and he speaks about the social and economic consequences, whereas we don't often see this from Daniel Andrews. But what the Treasurer has said is that the COVID situation has cost the Victorian government between $300 and $400 million a day. Now, it costs about a billion dollars to run a hospital. But when you think of it, every three days we're losing a billion dollars, the cost of a hospital. We could be building a hospital every three days yep. with the, from the economic effects of the lockdown. Yep. We're not saying ease them off totally. We want people to have accurate information that if you're young, then the chance of, as we said, of dying from the disease is remote. We'd like to get rid of the curfew. We'd like to have people to come about a normal life in a graduated manner, Mm. to be able to get back to playing sport, Mm. going and seeing their relatives. Mm. The patients come in to me and we we have a chat and I say, um, how are you getting on? And they'll say, look, I haven't seen my grandchildren for four months. Mm. Um, This is a fairly difficult situation. I mean, it's not quite as we were thought to believe living in Victorian society should be, really. Yep, and I think a lot of people would feel the same way. The other thing I'd like to say without being too critical of Daniel Andrews is that a patient said this to me yesterday, Mm. and it's amazing how much you learn from the patients. Mm. And this fellow was uh, an electrical contractor who uh, employed about eight people. He was uh, running out of work. He was saying he was considering moving to New South Wales, as he's not the only person that said this. Furthermore, he said if Daniel Andrews was the CEO of a big public company, then all he'd be doing would be occupational health and safety work. Mm. That seems to be all he's concentrating on. He's not thinking about increasing business confidence in Victoria. He's not working out about sales and marketing. So it's quite a good analogy. Mm. And I think this is why people in Victoria are hurting. And I think it's probably true to say the state's starting to go backwards. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we think this is probably related to, well, it is related to the lockdown. And we need it. The overwhelming support from the community, it's been overwhelming, uh, absolutely overwhelming, and they're telling us that we want a common-sense approach. Reason has gone out the window, and people want to get back to work and eliminate the fear factor. A lot of this appears, there seems to be this enormous fear factor now in in the community where people are too scared to go out. Yep. You know, this is this is not like normal living in, in Victoria or Melbourne as you and I know it. Mm. And this is something, Jeff, I wanted you to explain a bit on. In your open letter that you sent, um, yes. you say that we know that, that while COVID-19 is highly contagious, it's of yes. limited virulence. Now, I just think that's an important point that you're making. It's a distinction because, as you say, there's a lot of fear, and that fear has been 
fanned by the way the government's behaved and by the numbers that we see and by the Premier getting up every day and doing his, his presentation. It's all feeding that fear, which is not really being supported by the facts or the facts aren't available for people to look at clearly. So explain to me what it means for something to be highly contagious but of limited virulence, because this is, I mean, that's key. Well, highly contagious means something that spreads a disease that spreads quickly across the community. Now, a classic one of this is, say, measles in children at school. Mm. Measles just spreads. It's a, it's a condition that just goes from one person to the other very, very quickly. But virulence is basically toxicity. Right. How toxic is it? Now, as we've said, it's toxic if you're over 85 and has significant side effects, but if you're under 70, then the degree of toxicity is not all that significant. And also the side effects, which is another reason why people have, there's a lot of fear out there. People are talking about, you know, heart damage, brain damage, organ damage caused as side effects of COVID, disease like chronic fatigue syndrome, those kind of yeah, things yeah. where it keeps coming back to certain people. All those are those complications that can go with it, they apply mainly to older people who get it. Yeah, I think so, Piers. Look, it's fairly early in the uh, in the whole disease process to make any accurate assertions about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know there are, there are some viruses that can have long-term side effects, but it's pretty uncommon. Mm. Uh, sometimes you can have a cardiac side effects uh, after a viral illness, but... It is very uncommon. We're learning more and more about this virus as time goes on. Mm. And I think we'd be able to make more accurate uh, assertions about it down the track. At this stage, my gut feeling is that it could be somewhat overstated. Okay. But from that degree, I could be wrong. And also the, the business of herd immunity. So in the main, if you get this disease, and in Victoria, there's been, I think there's now been over 19,000 cases of coronavirus confirmed in Victoria as of the 4th of September, the vast majority of those people who who recover, are they going to have immunity that lasts or is that another thing that's yet to be determined? It's probably yet to be totally determined, but we generally think the vast majority of these people will have immunity. There might be a very small degree that knows that the disease can recur in, but I think it's very, very small, Pierce. And I think once you've had it, you're probably going to be away from it recurring again. In America, I think I've heard of, of them using the blood serum from people who've recovered to actually help people who've, who, who are struggling with extreme symptoms from the disease. Yeah, 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 they're doing that in America. They're not doing it in, in Melbourne, as far as I'm, I'm, I'm aware. Mm. But I think the, the important thing about the medical treatment of the disease, we've got to realise it's a virus. See, bacterial infections you can fix with antibiotics. Viral infections, antiviral agents aren't, aren't effective with this, mm. as, far as, we're, as far as we're aware. Mm. And it's the only patients that um, we have to concentrate on. Infinity. 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 I tell you, I, I, one of the 
very the positive things I think has come out of this piece is uh, our care of patients in nursing homes. Now I know they've had the Royal Commission, which I think is still going on, mm. and people haven't uh, got much information. But this actually has really opened up the nursing home debate, if you like, about uh, how patients get looked after, what the cost of going into a nursing home is, um, how. Um, what they're going to, uh, what, what patients are going to do, uh, are relatives able to come in and see them? Mm. We've had some um, fairly um, awful news about patients in nursing homes where, you know, they've um, haven't been able to see their relatives. Um, it's 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 a it's a very difficult situation. But if you go into a nursing home and and uh, they test positive, then you know the patients are isolated and they get and this is whatever happens when you get isolated you get depressed you don't uh, have good nutrition and, and you know some of the deaths have probably been a result of basically isolation i'll tell you a story i had a fellow who came into me he's a 90 year old man i've treated him for 30 years yep and he came into hospital and i operated on him it was a slow recovery and in the end, he spent three weeks in hospital. Now, over that three-week period of time, he wasn't able to have any visitors. Right. Now, this is a man who had uh, four children, two daughters living very close to him. I had to do the dialogue between the daughter and the patient. After three weeks, we were able to get him into a respite care uh, situation. Then he went into this respite care his daughter came and saw him after a couple of days. She was able to see him for an hour. She said to me, Jeffrey, I couldn't believe it. In the three-week period, he'd lost weight, he'd lost confidence, he was having a lot more difficulty walking, and he'd deteriorated markedly. And this is basically, I think, Pierce, because he wasn't able to have sexual contact. Mm. He couldn't see his family. Mm. He had three weeks of being in hospital without any family relatives seeing him and you know this is a, a really awful situation when you're an elderly patient towards the twilight of your years to be in hospital and have these things happen to you yes yeah. awful absolutely really I, awful. I, I totally agree and I, and you highlighted in your letter also younger people who happen to be living alone single people absolutely Marcus mm. this is this is absolutely I had one patient and I treated her husband uh, her husband was a, a successful businessman. They did a lot of world travelling, a big social life. Mm. She's now a widow and she has to basically self-isolate. Mm. And she said it's just horrendous. She yeah. can't see anyone. Mm. She can't see her children. Mm. I mean, this is having enormous consequences. It's causing depression. Mm. It's causing anxiety. Mm. We think this, the suicide rate could be uh, increasing. We're not certain about this, but... It's causing a lot of social and uh, mental side effects, and, and the suicide figures, I believe, might be uh, might have been misrepresented, or, or the you know government's been a bit cagey about coming out with the numbers of recent well, numbers. I think there's a definite element of truth in this. The thing about the suicide figures, Pierce, is first of all, we know that three thousand people a year in Australia commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Absolutely tragic. It's a bit of a taboo subject, mm. but. That's, they're the figures. But it does take quite a bit of time 
because suicides go to the coroner and there can be significant investigations, etc. So what I think there's, is that there's a time lag between the number of people who have actually suicided. And I think we'll find in the next three or four months that the rate of uh, suicide is going to markedly increase. And we know this anecdotally. Anecdotally, we're hearing of lots of significant increase in suicide. Yeah, yeah. And I think it'd be almost uh, unrealistic or blind to think that that's not likely given the, the lockdown and given the limited social contact and, and, and particularly vulnerable groups, either the elderly who find themselves at home on their own or single people who, who you know can't see their friends. I would assume there'd be a fair few people saying they've suddenly got a, a magical girlfriend or boyfriend who's, who's appeared somewhere convenient because uh, I think that's one of the reasons you are allowed to travel to see a, a so-called significant other. But I think also the uh, economic side effects. Uh, I think people in business, there's a fear of the effect of failure. I mean, people mm. are losing businesses. There's mm. un- unemployment skyrocketing. Mm. There's huge financial difficulties. And this can, can, of course, lead to increased risks of suicide. Just coming back to the criticism that you've made, which I think is, is in some ways is quite, it's quite clear, it's quite scathing, in a way, it's it's not surprising that the government hasn't actually responded to you, which you were a little bit disappointed by. But in some ways, I could, I don't find that that surprising, um, because you have said that you consider the current government policy is ill-focused, heavy-handed, and unjustifiable as a proportionate response to the risks posed by COVID nineteen to the public's health. That is a very big criticism. I'm quoting directly from your letter. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's why, that's why we wrote it. It is, it is heavy-handed and significant side effects. I'm talking with Mr. Jeff Weld, consultant urologist at Box Hill Hospital and uh, one of the signatories, and fair to describe you as, as one of the organisers behind this open letter to the Premier. Jeff, your website, if people want to check it out for themselves, is coviddoctorsnetwork.com. You're asking for signatures for medical practitioners or from anyone, Jeff? It's very strict. You've got to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, okay. Significant years experience, and then um, you have to have the APRA number, Pierce. Uh-huh. So it's, it's it's doctors only. Okay. Yeah. So 400 signatures there on the website. Yeah, I could just one say one thing. Mm. Look, we know the virus is not going to go away. We know that an effective, effective vaccine may not be available for a period of time. Mm. As a result, if we stay in lockdown and continue in lockdown, the consequences are going to be very, very bad for the general community. And I think what we've done is try and open the door so we can get responsive and common sense views across to the people who are influencing Daniel Andrews mm. and hopefully lockdown will be lifted yep. and it'll be interesting to see what happens. The briefing about the roadmap to reduce it's, restrictions. We won't know obviously Pierce until this until this occurs mm. but we're hoping the government's going to have a, a caring and uh, a bit more compassionate approach mm. and we're hoping that life in Victoria can return to some degree of normality. We're not expecting this to occur overnight, 
We're expecting the restrictions to be eased. We're expecting people to be sensible. We're expecting people to respect social distancing, yep. especially in inside situations. We realise that people are going to be continuing to wear masks, but we want some return to normal life, which is what's happening overseas. Yeah. You know? yep. Overseas, this is all happening. There, there, things have changed. I mean, when you look at the central business district, you go into the city, it's totally different from how it was six months ago, isn't it? Yeah, it's a ghost town. Mm. It's a ghost town, Bess. Absolutely, Bess. It's a ghost town. I mean, and the people out there have been financially and uh, destroyed, most of the people in there. Yeah. It's, it's a terrible situation. And, and, and also, you know, you wonder what the recovery is going to look like. I mean, even even with restrictions relaxed, what happens to all that office space? What happens, you know, no one's going to be comfortable using a lift for a while, Jeff. No, um, that's right. You know, well, the office space is very interesting, isn't it? Because um, I suppose this might be one of the other positive aspects of the lockdown. People are probably going to work from home far more frequently than they have in the past. I, I would think that people are going to be working from home two or three days a week and two or three days in the office. Yeah. But they're certainly not going to be five days in the office. I mean, my daughter is working from home four or five days a week and the company she works with, it's a worldwide organisation, but everyone across the world is working from home. Now, this is probably going to be lifted at some stage, but it's a, it's a massive change in society, isn't it? It's huge. And trying to explain why the Victorian government has taken the, the, the stance it has and acted the way it has, one suggestion is that the whole thing has become politicised and it's become about proving their p- political credentials in light of failures with the hotel quarantine. New South Wales was in a similar situation with caseloads earlier this year during the first lockdown as Victoria, but they managed their quarantining better and they didn't have this second wave of anything like the magnitude as Victoria. So you do have a government that is kind of in survival mode and damage control, really. I mean, it's hard to hard to deny that that's a, a, an extreme likelihood under the circumstances. I agree. I hear what you're saying, Piers. Some people are starting to say that it's almost like it's a guilt factor because there doesn't seem to be any doubt that the second wave has been a result of the government's poor handling of the security firms. And we've had this second wave that's been unique to Australia. I mean, it hasn't happened in, in the other states. And I think that there might be some sort of overreaction from the government it's almost like it, it has been a, a, almost a guilt feeling. It's difficult to say. If there was an election held tomorrow, you would have to reckon there'd be a landslide. I don't know whether there's been any polls, uh, popularity polls or, or opinion polls done about voting intentions. We don't have an, a state election until late 2022. So they've got quite a bit of time to try to smooth things yeah. over. I'll tell you, uh, it's interesting. There was a poll published uh, about two or three weeks ago mm. showed Daniel Andrews' support was between 60 and 65%. Um, wow. Somewhat surprising, it was Paul Murray on Fox. But I think in, in the last couple of weeks, there has been a change. Mm. And I think, you know, this is reflected in, as we've been saying, Pierce, anxiety, anger. There's palpable anger now. Yep. Yep. People are saying, we've had enough. We want to get out. We want to see our grandchildren. We want yeah. to exercise. Yep. We want to go for a swim. We want to play golf. We want to get back to normal. 
Jeff, why do you think the COVID app failed? Have you got any thoughts on that? That seems to have been a bit of a, a lemon. And also contact tracing. I wanted to ask you about those, both those things. Contact tracing in Victoria seems to have yeah. been less, less successful than in other states. Okay, well, the reason contact tracing in Victoria is less successful is the technology hasn't been as good. In New South Wales, with the Ruby Princess, the contact tracing was much better because they had a much better computer system. And the DHSS in Victoria just hasn't seemed to be able to get it right. Hmm. So this has made quite a big difference. I mean, you've got to have accurate contact tracing and it's taken too long and, yeah, the technology hasn't been as good as in New South Wales. And the COVID app, would you like to comment? That's something that we've, on this program, Beyond Infinity, the podcast and the radio program, we've talked a bit about why the COVID Safe app has, has had limited uptake and, and turned out to not be that effective. There have been some technical reasons behind that, but do you have any thoughts on that as well? I, I really couldn't give you an accurate comment on that, uh, Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, not enough people took it up. Yep. I don't know whether it was fear or whether it was lack of government intervention. I think it was done with um, good intention. Mm. I think there might have been a bit of Big Brother concern. Mm. It does, as you're saying, it hasn't been uh, effective, and it really uh, it's just sort of diminished. It's it's evaporated. All right, we've been talking with uh, Mr. Jeff Wells, a consultant urologist at Box Hill Hospital and one of the lead people who organised this open letter to Dan Andrews, Premier of Victoria, urging him to stick to the timeline of relaxing stage four lockdown restrictions in Victoria with a view to the health consequences, the side effects of being in isolation, depression, suicide, not going to the doctor when you need to for other existing illnesses that, that you would normally go to out of fear of COVID. Thank you for talking to me, Jeff. Any uh, closing remarks you'd like to make? I know that your website has had a lot of support. You've had a lot of letters congratulating you for speaking up. Anything you'd like to conclude with? First of all, uh, enjoyed the interview, Pierce. What I'd like to say is people have said to us how grateful I have been. It's just been overwhelming. And they've also said oh, we, they can't believe how courageous we've been. Well, I take that as a, as a very great personal uh, compliment. Mm. I really think if we hadn't spoken out, it would have appeared as though we were weak. I don't feel as though we've been courageous. I just feel as though we're doctors, we're into being honest, truthful, and the whole life about being a doctor, as you know, because your father was a doctor, it's about talking to people and conveying empathy and sympathy. Mm. And this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to make people's lives better Mm. by having some influence on the government. We've opened the door. Hopefully they will respond. If they don't respond, we'll keep trying. Thank you very much, Jeff Wells, for speaking with me today. It's a pretty important subject, and I know there's a lot of people out there who really do hope that this has some effect on the state government's approach. You know, no one denies it's a tricky situation, but there's got to be some common sense and some pragmatism. And also, I think being more trusting of people share the knowledge share the information if you're behaving in a particular way and and strongly supporting a a fairly extreme set of policies in regard to covid then explain why if that's the right policy then share the information on which those decisions are based absolutely well said yes i agree you're listening to beyond infinity Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. 
That's beyondinfinity.com.au.